Hey, hey. Check <laughs> one, check one, um, what's the name of the podcast? Um, it's called the TMC Podcast. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> if you can come, if you, I tell you what, if you have a better name, tell me. I thought it was going to be like some Truman Talk or something. I'm sure there's a better that's name out there. That's actually Truman Talk. Yeah. Maybe it is now. <laughs> Truman Talk, the TMC podcast. Yeah. Welcome to Truman Talk, the TMC podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome to the TMC podcast, which we may have just renamed Truman Talk, the TMC podcast, because we've got some very creative people here today. I'm excited about today. Uh, today we're going to tackle, I have said, it might be the most famous thought experiment in all of philosophy. I'm sure some listeners have heard of it before, and it sort of lays out what your moral philosophy orientation is. Before we dive right in, let's have our guests today introduce themselves. All right, um, I'm Jaden. I'm new here. I've been here for a semester, and I'm really liking it so far, so go Truman. Great, and? Same. I'm Donovan. I just came here like about a month ago. I'm really liking it, and I'm really glad to be here today. Wow, I like the compliments about Truman. Um, how about just one other thing about yourself? Could be a weird thing, a quirky thing, an interest, a favorite, anything like that. If I, if I gave you an hour free, what would you do with it? Um, I'm really family-oriented, Okay. so I'll probably do something with my family. Very nice. Um, what... Who, who is in your family um, orbit usually? So my mom, and then I have two close friends I've been with since forever. So oh, wow. I can say like brother and sister, so. Oh wow, great. Uh, and it's like, that's a definition of family where it doesn't necessarily have to be DNA shared family. Yeah. For sure. And you got an hour free? So an hour either upstairs with my family, just spending time together, or downstairs in my room watching either a podcast or a documentary about something mind-related or combat sport-related. Mind-related, you mean how the brain works? How the brain works, different philosophies, different visionaries. Like, I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali, so I tend to watch things that they say more than that. I'm trying to think, what's the big, uh, When We Were Kings? Is that the, There's a really famous Muhammad Ali documentary about the rumble in the jungle. Mm -hmm against George Foreman. I think it's called When We Were Kings. You, you can watch it, and then we'll have another podcast. <laughs> or both of you are in a film class too, right? Yes. So yes. we can also have a podcast about film. But today is all about moral philosophy. So are you ready? Yes. All right, I'm going to lay out a thought experiment. Thought experiments are used in philosophy. They just sort of set up a question that's very difficult to answer. And then in trying to answer the question, you kind of lay bare some of the big concerns about philosophy, morality, etc. Okay. The tricky part is you have to take the thought experiment for what it is. You can't be like, oh, that's unrealistic or whatever. It's just a way to create a discussion. Right. right. So this is known as the trolley problem, although I'm going to use a train instead of a trolley. Um, there's a bunch of different variations of it. So if any of you listeners have heard a different variation, there's a whole bunch of different variations. Um, you are standing on a bridge. And that bridge is over some train tracks. You look down on the train tracks, and there are five people tied to the train tracks because some evil guy tied them there, and that's how he was going to kill them. A train is heading towards them whose brakes are out and is coming towards the five people and is clearly going to kill them. And you're going to stand there. You're going to have to watch this. But 
Standing next to you is a huge football star, gigantic, big, and muscular. And for the sake of this conversation, you know if you pushed him off of the bridge, he would land on the train tracks, the train would hit him, kill that football player, but derail and save the five people that were tied to the tracks. So you now have a choice. You either sit there and watch the train hit and kill those five people. Or, or murder, man. Very well said. Because one of them includes murder, and the other one doesn't, unless, and this is a whole other philosophical discussion, is letting people die that you could have saved equal to murder or not as bad as murder. So that's another thing you're wrestling Jesus. with. So yes, you either push, and it's also, on the one hand, it's murder, because you'd be killing someone. Right. On the other hand, if you kill him, you're saving more people than the other scenario. There's six people. Either five of them are going to die, or one of them is going to die. If you want to make five of them live and one die, which are better numbers, now you have to murder somebody. You, can, you know what? Even if you don't have an answer, just go ahead and talk us through some of your first reactions. All right, so... The way I'm thinking about it right now, one for five sounds really good to me. Mm -hmm. Now, I say that because although he dies, mm -hmm. five people get to go home to their families. Mm -hmm. But him being a football star doesn't make him any more human or any less human than these people that are clearly about to die. Right. So, it's hard to not look at his murder because you're clearly killing him, but... If you want to feel better about yourself, you call it a sacrifice. A sacrifice, Good. you have to give up something. Very well said. So there are some times we can argue that killing someone is the right thing to do. Maybe the classic example is someone breaks into your house. Mm -hmm. they got a gun pointed at your family. If you, you could take out a gun and shoot him before he kills your family, that's a justifiable killing. Right. And you're saying, we do have to call it a murder, but there are some killings that are justifiable. All right, go ahead. Your initial thoughts. Um, man, this is hard. Um, so, I, like he said, the football player being a football player does not make him any less or more human. So, I, the first thing I thought about is that the the, the aftermath of, of all this, right? You mm -hmm. killed a man, mm -hmm. and would it be seen as you're saving them, or would it just be seen as you, you killed them? Now, I, I mean, you're, you, you mentioning the aftermath is really, really interesting. Maybe because, that's a good way to d make a decision is like, well, how will I feel in the aftermath? Go ahead, what are you going to say? Yeah, because like, you can think of an immediate, okay, yeah, save these people, so push the guy, right? But then you subjected his family to losing somebody they care about, and then you just killed him, so what are the repercussions look like for you? So you are thinking about the aftermath both for yourself as you make this decision and also for the people or person who might get killed. Exactly. Um, how bad is it? What would the aftermath be like if you watched a train kill five people that you could have prevented? Of course, the preventing was this really intense thing where you have to murder someone. But tell, tell me about, we know, oh my that God, I killed be, somebody feels terrible, but what about the aftermath of watching five people die? That would be very traumatic. Having to sit there and watch that, and especially knowing that you could have played a, a, a you could have had a hand in saving them, mm -hmm. that would be super traumatic. 
in my opinion, it's a lose-lose situation. Either you deal with the trauma of letting people die that you could have saved, right? or you deal with the trauma of killing someone else, but either way you lose, someone dies here. Correct. So the headlines would be football star found dead. Or, or was it could be five people found dead, and then you're the scapegoat because you could have saved them. So either way, you look bad. Which one, back to the aftermath, which one do you think you could most... You're going to be traumatized afterwards. Which one do you feel like you personally could most live with? The idea that, look, I murdered someone, but I saved five people, or look, I let five people die that I could have done something about. I could live with the football star being gone. Honestly, yeah. because even with his death, which is bad, obviously, because he's a human being, too. Mm-hmm. But with these people, that's five people for one person. Mm-hmm. I feel even in the uneven exchange, five people still get to go home, right. even though he doesn't. Right. And just to s- go ahead. What are you going to say? I have one question. Please. The train yep. is completely empty. Yes. Okay. What would you? What would have changed if there were if the train wasn't empty? Um, it, cause I was thinking like, okay, well, the train driver, the train gets derailed and the train crashes, he's dead too, or he's <laughs> injured severely. If it was a train that's occupied, kind of like the red line, oh, the five people, cause then now it's like I'm derailing a whole train and injuring, hurting, killing. Got you. A mass amount of people. Got you. Yeah. So it's a very good question and an important thing to do in these philosophical thought experiments is you try to clear out all of the factors just to isolate this one thing. Right. So that would be clearing out, yeah, nobody's on the train for whatever reason, blah, blah, blah. How did you, you just said it's something about like, well, at least the five, you just mentioned the five people. Saying if this one person dies and he doesn't get to go home. Right. These five people get to go home, live their lives, provide for their families. Got it. So, either way, it's bad. But I feel one life can be sacrificed if five are saved. And I was thinking of your use of the word aftermath because when you're thinking of the aftermath, you're thinking of your own aftermath, and then you're thinking of the aftermath of the other people or the people related to those people. Mm-hmm. If the five people die... You have to add up all of their family and friends, which is a big crowd of people with a lot of aftermaths that'll be very sad, as opposed to the one, which of course will be a terrible aftermath. Exactly. One one thing I'm seeing is like we keep saying one. I feel like if you just killed somebody for whatever reason, you have to face that yourself. So if I just I just killed a football star, yeah, I'm trying to save people. But it's not like I'm going to be able to get away from the law from that. I, I just killed him. I mean, that's a great question. What would the law say? I mean, you're making moral arguments for pushing. I mean, you, you're wrestling with what's the right thing to do, and you maybe have decided the right thing to do is to push that guy, which makes me think, let's say you're accused of murder. You could just go like, look, I was doing the right thing, or I was trying to do the right thing, and here's my argument. Right. I don't know what the law would say, but it's really interesting. Like, why should you... Why should you get punished for wrestling really, really hard with trying to figure out what the right thing to do is? Or you said, like, you lose-lose. What's the least worst thing Exactly. So you don't necessarily... These labels aren't all that important, and they're a lot more complex than I'm going to make them, but there is a moral philosophy called utilitarianism. Utilitarianism says try to maximize 
happiness for the maximum number of people or maybe whatever helps the most people is the right thing to do. So you guys have made sort of a utilitarian argument because when you kept saying, look, it's five people versus one, that's somebody looking how to maximize. The beautiful thing about utilitarianism is you're supposed to remove yourself from the equation, right? I'm just trying to help other people, whatever maximizes it. There's another school of thought either called maybe Kantian ethics or deontologists where they say the most important moral thing is that every person's rights are respected always, and that's more important than the numbers. So the deontologist or the Kantian would say, when you push that guy off the bridge, you are not respecting his rights as a human being. Right. He didn't choose to jump off. He didn't want to sacrifice himself. He has rights, and you violated them. So how does, that, how does the deontologist's sort of response sit with you when they say, I know you're winning on the numbers, but I think every human being, Kant would say, it has to be respected as an ends, not a means. You can't use anybody. Because you are using the football player. I'm using you to save five people, which is noble. But you're using them. How would you respond to somebody saying you're violating someone's rights? I feel like in this situation, either way, death comes. So mm -hmm. the fact that me as a human who doesn't have the power over death is given the sudden power over death in life. I feel that although I am wrong for my actions on both sides, because both sides people die if I don't step in. Right. So I say, look at the situation. Who would you rather lose? Would you rather lose one person in your family or would you rather lose five? And maybe you can say, you're right, his rights are violated, yeah. but I will pay that price for some of the things you're saying to right. win on the numbers. How does it feel if someone says you're violating someone's inherent rights as a human being? See, I always look at it as like just a greater good, right? Okay. You, that's a nice utilitarian. Yeah, sort yeah. Of just like I understand what I'm doing to this guy, and I understand that he doesn't want to sacrifice himself. Mm -hmm. But you can't see it as, oh, I just don't want to die, whatever. These five people and their families mean a lot more overall yep. than losing one person. That's you, the, the impact that you have and that wide impact because it's multiple people, I wouldn't, man. So that's a really good thing to do when you're trying to figure out these moral questions is remember that nobody just exists in isolation. It's not just five people. All those five people are tied to families, loved ones, histories. So once you start factoring that in, it's sort of like what you're saving or helping gets bigger and bigger. Right. You ready but he is, a, he is a huge football star. So I know his fan base has to be. So the magnitude of that person makes you look even worse. Cause yeah. Aside from his family, critics, mm -hmm. teammates, also family, of course, news outlets, they're all going to look at him like, he was a larger-than-life star before he was a human. So My guess is you are not going to say, though, that that football star is more important than, say, the person working the checkout at CBS. Exactly. No. He's not. He's just very talented. Obviously, if he's a star, but he's a human before mm -hmm. all of that, and so are those five people. So mm -hmm. I say if he goes, they live. So, Are you ready for it to get a little harder? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what if the person wasn't a football star but was one of your family members? Oh, God. Now, hang, on one hang on one second. This will bring us to a very, very important distinction in these philosophical discussions. Because you're probably going to have two responses. 
Number one, what you would do, and number two, what you ought, O-U-G-H-T, do. Because we can always, always explain what we would do, but that's not necessarily the same as us saying what is the right thing to do, because in these philosophical discussions, you want to figure out what is the right thing to do mm -hmm. so that you can try to live up to those ideals. Mm -hmm. But of course, I know you wouldn't just callously be flinging a family member off of a bridge. So why don't we just... Why don't we start with what you would do, which means we're not having a moral discussion yet, because moral discussions are always what is the right thing to do or what ought you do, which is a little different than what you might personally do some of the time. What do you think you would do? In that situation, see, in my life, the only blood family that I am super close to is my mother. If there was my mother on that bridge, I, in that moment, I wouldn't do it. Even if I, like, I, I've, Everything and telling me, like, push her, I wouldn't be able to do it. That's my mom. So it's interesting. In a way, you might be making a moral discussion because this is, this is a Western philosophy question we're having, but if we went over to Eastern philosophy, they would say there's, like, a, this moment of love inside of you that is giving you an answer, and that moment of love ought to be cultivated, and that's how we become moral people. The, the famous one is you're walking by a well and there's a kid in a well and there's this little part of you that wants to save the kid. That little part of you that wants to save the kid has to be cultivated into this big empathetic person. So I know I just said, well, we're not having a moral <laughs> discussion when we're doing about what you would do. Maybe we are. All right, I'll come back to you in just one second. All right, go ahead. Well, when you put it like that and you take the football star out and put a family member, the first question I'd ask is, am I close to that family member? So it would... We'll say yes, just because we're making this as hard as possible. It's yes. You said Cousin Ray Ray can go. <laughs> Should we all list the people we wouldn't mind? I feel conflicted now because I have an emotional attachment to that person. And now, instead of these five people being human beings, you're just five people compared to this person that I'm close to. So, I feel betrayal on both sides if I let either die. So, um... I mean, I guess, hang on, I know you're about to, uh, what, you're, what you're really bringing up, what you're stating very well is these personal feelings, these particular attachments, right? You, you only love your mother because you don't love everybody else's mothers. You can't love everybody equal. It's particular. It's right. specific to a person. Right. Should we be factoring in our particular loves and affections and connections into our moral equations, or are we being our best moral selves if we remove all of that and try to, you know, be separate from our attachments. Um, typically, when you put emotion into your thoughts and you put emotion into your actions, typically you either make the wrong choice or you make the right choice. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. without using my emotional attachment to the family member, right? I probably, this is bad. I probably still sacrifice the family member only because I'm not using my emotional attachment to them. Correct. Right. So, do we? What? How do we become our best moral selves by eliminating those moral attachments when we make these decisions, or keeping those moral attachments when we make these decisions? See, I don't. That's a hard question because I feel like if you have an emotional t attachment to someone, you. What makes us human is our emotions. So I feel like 
trying to cut your emotions out at any time uh-huh. is kind of hard to do. Yep. Um, I'm sorry, I just got to interrupt because that was so good. In a way, and this means you're doing philosophy really well, in a way you just made an argument against your earlier utilitarian position, which was about the numbers, because figuring out the numbers is cold math. Yeah. Five is more than one. And you were, so it was this sort of, so it's, sometimes utilitarianism is accused of being just sort of cold and machine and mathematic-like. And you use the word human. Like, we want to be humans and not machines. We are humans and not machines. So maybe factoring in things like I love my mom makes losing on the numbers morally justifiable. How does, how does that sit with you, what I just said? I, I see what you're saying with that. And it, like, the, for the first, the first um, scenario... I was very utilitarian because, like, there was no emotions con- attached to it. There was no one mm-hmm. in there. So I was. it was really easy for me to be utilitarian. Like, okay, you know, five is bigger than one. Mm-hmm. But now you need to factor in, okay, these five people, are these five people's lives worth more than your attachment to that person? I feel like that is something that you, no matter what decision you make, is going to hurt you at the end. So, uh, as you said in, earlier, in, lose lose. Exactly, lose lose. So I feel like in a situation like this, you're gonna be hurt anyway. Mm-hmm. I would say make the more moral choice. What is the more moral choice? Saving the five people. Saving the five people. Yeah. Do you guys play video games? Yes. Yeah. Have you ever heard of or played the video game Last of Us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You both played it. I just beat that game. The yes. first one or the second one? Both. Okay. All right. So, first of all, just an alert to anybody listening to the podcast. If you haven't played the game and you're going to, or if you're going to watch the TV show, and if if so, turn off the podcast now. Spoiler <laughs> alert. We're about to spoil the whole thing. All right. Now, recognize in video games and movies, this this kind of question we're talking about comes up all the time. I can give you an example in Batman. I can think of discussions like this in Game of Thrones. And look what, because you know very well, look what happens in The Last of Us. So in The Last of Us, it's post-apocalyptic, a bunch of zombies made out of mushrooms, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a guy with a young daughter. Not his daughter, sorry. There's a young guy who's, who, not a young guy. There's a guy who lost his daughter in the apocalypse. Right but starts taking care of another young girl who basically becomes his whole life, his family, his whole reason for living, and his next surrogate daughter. It turns out that this girl, you guys can correct me if I'm saying anything wrong, it turns out that this girl is immune to the virus that's causing the apocalypse, and because she's immune, they can operate on her and create a vaccine that will save all of humanity. Mm -hmm. But to operate on her, she would be killed, because I think it's in her brain. I think her brain mm-hmm. is doing it. So at the end, they're about to operate on her, kill her, and save all of humanity. But Joel, the guy, comes in, shoots everybody. Well, not everybody. Shoots everyone trying to save her. Walks away with Ellie. And he basically decided his love for this one girl was better than saving... I mean, lots of people have been killed in the apocalypse. But better than saving the rest of humanity tens of thousands, if not even millions of people. Let's start with when you were playing the game. When Joel was doing that, how did you react? Like, you just did the worst thing, Joel? Or like, Joel, that's beautiful? I called him crazy. When he did that? Yes. You said you're crazy? Yes, when he came in, I 
I, killed I, the doctors and all yes, that. Yes, I was like, what are you doing? I felt that was the most selfish, but also beautiful thing at the same time because you let your love for someone that you don't really hold any attachment to cloud the fact that you could save, like you said, thousands or millions of people that may still be alive. Mm-hmm. You chose this one little girl mm-hmm. over essentially the whole world, mm-hmm. which, like I said, once you do that, everybody looks at you as the bad person because you had the opportunity to either save the world or you choose to save this little girl and continue living in this bad post-apocalyptic zombie filled exactly. like you chose to keep living in that because you chose to save this little girl and to support what you're saying another spoiler alert did you play the second game no I haven't oh. it's cool you can spoil that right. yeah. so in the second game so he lies to her and pretends like oh the vaccine wouldn't have worked or there's other people who get to make the vaccine up so he tells the world's biggest lie so in the second game he basically ends up confessing to her and she is so mad at him because she realizes she could have she wanted to die to save humanity so she is so mad at him which supports your you know it's sort of selfish he's crazy the person who was saved herself was saying hey um you shouldn't have done that uh go ahead uh, so you think you had no question so he said it was selfish and beautiful at the same time maybe you know mm-hmm. maybe that's true you weren't having a this is beautiful you were having a you lunatic how could you yeah so for this i was just like cuz i i thought the game was about to be over that was going to be the end you know and he was going to lose her right and i'm like and then he saved her and i'm like oh wait she lives cool but you're still in this. You're still in this world now. You still live this life. You're saving her to raise her in a post-apocalyptic world. Very good point. So there's this whole other philosophical <laughs> discussion of can life be so terrible that it's better to not even be alive in the first place? So you, do you want to argue like, look, this world is so horrible that keeping her in this terrible experience isn't even really a gift to her. She's immune, so it wouldn't affect her. But she would have to live in that and see people that she cares about. Die. Exactly. Horribly. And he's saving her to raise her and take care of her when his next days aren't even guaranteed. Absolutely. Do you feel like the game was making, weighing in on this utilitarian versus deontology discussion? Was the game saying, look at how bad particular love is for a person because you end up killing people? Or is it, look at how beautiful and strong particular love is that you could choose it over the whole world? I feel like it's strong. I feel like they were trying to say strong. Cause I, I, but that was not your reaction. It wasn't. I, I feel like, because I was looking at it from just a game standpoint, sometimes I completely disconnect myself. But I know that I've been in a position where I've loved someone so much where I would burn the whole world down for them. I wouldn't necessarily call that a good way of thinking, going about going about things. Right. But that's just what emotions do to you. But you had you said it so well before. Emotions are what make us human. If you don't have love, if you don't have that feeling like I'd burn down the whole world for this person I love, 
then you are just a cold machine. So I guess the question is, is if you keep making these utilitarian calculus <laughs> to keep winning on the numbers, right. have you asked for a world in which there isn't this kind of particular love and emotional attachment? And then is that world so cold, it's not even worth living in in the first place, so maybe the numbers aren't worth it in the utilitarian calculus anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's, it's but I don't know. I mean, I, you know, depends if you think the world would be that cold if you're always following utilitarian methodology. Or um, you guys have seen? Is it Batman Begins? What's the one with Heath Ledger as the Joker? Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Yeah. So they were asking the same question. If you remember, there's two boats. One boat has a bunch of convicts, and one boat has a bunch of civilians. And the bat and the Joker set up both boats, he put a bomb on both boats, but he put the detonator to the bomb on the other boat. So now the civilians have the detonator to the convict's boat, the convicts have the detonators to the civilian's boat. And Joker says, look, one of you has to blow up the other boat, or I blow up everybody. So one of them should press the button, 300 die, 300 live. And if nobody does, 600 die. And he was making them make that utilitarian calculus, but it would feel so dirty and awful. And if you remember the movie, ultimately, both ships decide not to do it. I think the convicts throw it out the window, the civilians just don't. So those are the civilians saying, we'd rather 600 of us die than get ourselves dirty with your utilitarian mathematics. Does that make sense? So the human thing to do when I think about it, when you have 300 convicts and 300 innocent people, mm -hmm. I'd say the first thing I'd want to know is what did these people do? So are you putting the worst of the worst in there or people that are in there on technicalities? Mm -hmm. So either way, 600 souls or 300 souls die. So it's a hard pick, but when you put convict in the um sentence you automatically think okay kill the convicts they're bad people right but you don't know because these are people you don't know they could have been on some like they could have been there for the smallest crimes so it's crazy or just that straight innocent and exactly. they got wrongfully convicted so it's crazy that one word can make you be like okay kill these people instead right of it's a good point of the power of language. As soon as you say convicts, you're supposed to conclude they're no longer worthy of life. Well, remember before, this is a good point. Remember before when you said, hey, that football player's life is no greater or worse than anybody else's life, right? Can somebody do something so terrible in this world that you feel they are now less worthy of life than other people. Like, think of the convicts who did horrible things. Stuff so bad that you want them to be in prison for life, or if you believe in the death penalty, you think they should be put to death. Are those lives still just as worthy as the civilians' lives, or can you do something so heinous, you're like, you just don't get the same, you know, human rights considerations that everybody else does? Yes. Honestly, yes. You think somebody can do something that bad? Depending on what you did, I feel there's criminal, then there's monster. You can do something bad, you do your time, you get out. But I feel like once you do something to the point where they have to lock you up for life or kill you, mm -hmm. I feel like whatever you do, 
you deserve whatever comes to you. So I feel like there's only a set amount of crimes that you can commit where I feel like you don't deserve life anymore. I you lose a, your rights. Exactly. I have a question for you. What is what would you consider monster then? Um unprovoked murder, pedophilia. R word, I'll say R word. Sexual assault. And mass genocide. That's all I can that's all I can put up. Okay. To the point where you lose your human right to live. Go ahead. Lives. And go ahead, what were you gonna say? I personally feel like none of us should play God. I feel like it's not oh, it's not up to anyone's decision whether someone lives or dies or not. Now you can say, okay. You're not, you cannot be in civilization. You need to be put in jail because mm -hmm. you are a threat to yourself and everyone around you. Mm -hmm. I can understand that. But I don't feel like it's your decision to make if this person lives or dies or not. Mm. I'm wondering if you say you should be in prison forever, are you still, is that life still of the same worth as someone else who hasn't done those heinous acts to put them in prison for life? Well, I personally feel like there's a lot of stuff wrong with like prison and like how they sure. treat prisoners, but sure. um, like the, they treat them like maybe they are not worthy. Exactly, exactly. I feel like they should still get their you know basic rights and have a um, not like super comfortable life, but they shouldn't be being tortured either. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you're a danger to people, you need to be isolated and. The way that we do that now isn't the best, but it, if it was to change and actually be humane, then yeah, I would be like, okay, you can live, but you can, you just can't be around civilization. So remember before when you were struggling with the difficult decision of whether to put the push the football player off the bridge? Right. If it was the same scenario, but the person standing there was an escaped convict who committed one or two of those heinous crimes you listed... Would it be a much easier decision for you? Would there be less waffling? Would you be like, yep, that guy dies. He's less worthy of the rights that the deontologists want to give, you know, that the Kantian ethicists want to give the no. person standing there? No. Wait, was, so what did you, no to? It would be an equally hard decision because it's still I'm killing somebody. If you just killed somebody and you're saying that, oh, yeah, your life is less worth I, because you killed someone. If I kill you, what is that saying about me? And before you were wrestling with the aftermath, your good word, about what it would be like to know yourself as a murder, murderer, whether you kill the football player, a nun, or an escaped convict, you're still a murderer. Exactly. I feel like with the aftermath argument, I feel like if once you put the words and what he done, mm -hmm into the situation, I feel like, to me, it would be easier because knowing what you did, chances are the family of the person you did that to, they want you like that anyway. Mm -hmm. And with the aftermath of the situation, instead of me being looked at as you didn't save this person or you killed this person, I'm looked at as a hero almost because I chose to omit you from the situation to save these people and it makes it easier because of the stuff that you did right so it just really depends on 
who you're putting in a situation and how they got put there. But the dehumanizing of people with the word selection is still a crazy thing. So I kinda yeah. I kinda wanna take it back to what you said as far as um you're human first. I believe that was your words. Right. Yes, this person is a murderer, has committed heinous crimes, and people might want to see him dead mm-hmm. because he took a life from a family, mm-hmm. but his family still wants to see him alive. So would you be able to uh, live with putting that pain on the murderer's family? Because, yeah, you're killing the murderer. All right, yeah, you killed that horrible person, mm-hmm. but there's still innocent people around him that have done nothing wrong that will feel the pain of losing a family member. I would look at the family as why are you backing this person knowing what they've done? It's family. So even if family, I can still condemn you for what you've done but on a family standpoint, I really wouldn't want to be attached to you even though I don't have a choice to I don't want to be associated with you or your name because of what you've done because if I back you up on this situation what does that say about me? That looks like I condone what you did, which I don't. But regardless, I look bad, and obviously you look bad for what you did. So that's a hard one. That's a hard. Go ahead. One. You want to? Re- and by the way, correct me if I'm wrong. This also proves that you're both independent thinkers. You are against the death penalty, and you are okay with the death penalty. Depending on like what it. you did, yes. yes right. So you think that there are some cases where the death penalty is justice? Yes. And, and you also, would... I feel it's unnecessary at times. And you would say that no, the death penalty should never be used. Never. Well, good for you too for being independent <laughs> thinkers and no one's just following the other one blindly and everything. That's that's great. Yeah. It's good. Uh, the justification for your independent thinking. Um, we're getting a little short on time. That's great. Let me just say that sometimes with these moral discussions, it's sort of like, oh my God, but I want to know what the right thing. I want to know what the right thing is. First of all, to exercise your mind and think independently, which we just proved you did is probably the most moral thing because the worst things happen in the world, like your genocides, when people don't think for themselves and can be easily like caught under the sway of some sort of terrible dictator, etc. Or people who just want to spend the time trying to figure out what's right has the right intention. They want to be good people, and that's proved by people wrestling with these things, both of which was proved. So. This was too much fun. Well, okay. is it fair to say this was too much fun? We're talking about <laughs> genocide and death penalty and people being pushed off of bridges and being killed. But anyway, it was it was great, robust discussion. Um, we'll do it again. You guys want to say sign off to the podcast world? Give your name one more time, just because they're like, oh my gosh, this person's so brilliant. I have to follow everything they do since this podcast. I need to know your name. Go ahead. Well, this was Jaden and. Talk for you soon. That's good. And yeah, this was Donovan. I'll definitely be back here soon. Maybe, maybe in the future when you guys have like your own podcast, radio show, or talk show, you know, Jaden and Donovan, it'll <laughs> be like, oh my god, I heard them when they. It's like knowing a knowing a rapper before they got big. Well, oh yeah, I, I loved all their early stuff. <laughs> you know the people that's always like, oh yeah, no, did you hear their first ever podcast? This would be right. that. This is it. Yeah, we're famous. All right, thanks everybody. <laughs> thanks. What is it? Talk. TMC Talk? Uh, Truman Talks? Tr- Truman Talk, yeah. Truman Talks, the TMC podcast, has been anointed that title. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. All right. <laughs> oh, one second. I think we're still recording, but...
Awesome. Man, that, that was a really hard one. Because it's like, 